Well, this morning we are in Genesis 4, and we, uh, we've made it to chapter 4 finally. Like I said, we're going to be going a lot quicker uh, now as we hit 4, 5, 6, and, and so forth. Um, but we are in Genesis 4, 1 this morning, and I left my clicker back there. I knew I was going to do that. So, yeah, if you want to bring it up, that'd be great. But uh, we're in Genesis 4, 1. Adam made love to his wife, Eve. <gasps> Can we say that in church? Wasn't quite sure, you know, because we have all these rules, that things that we can and cannot talk about. So, And she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. And the, and the name Cain actually means, I got him, or here he is. So I want you to think back to uh, uh, the last couple of weeks, two weeks ago when we were in Genesis, and, and what just happened. Uh, the Lord just cursed Eve, she cursed Adam, and she cursed the land, I mean, and God cursed the, the, the land, and he cursed Satan, okay? So that just happened. And when he told Eve, what did he tell Eve? Anyone? Anyone? Yeah, you're going to have a child. You're going to have one, and then this, and this child is going to bite the hill, yet he would be crushed, okay? So this is freshly in her mind, in a sense. So all of a sudden, she has a child, and she thinks, well, here he is. I got him. So certainly, I would assume she's thinking that this is the promised deliverer, the one who would crush the serpent's head and, retur- and return them to paradise. You know, here he is, I got him. Unfortunately, this was not the one. And, and in verse 2 it says, Later she gave birth to a, his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of, of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from, from, from some of the firstborn of his flock, The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Now, I need you to understand something. Between verse 2 and verse 3, about 100 years have passed here in time. And, uh, uh, you know, by this time, there's many people on the earth. It's not just, you know, Adam, Eve, Cain, and Abel. There's not just four people on earth, okay? But the Bible, what it does is it's following this one family. It's following this one um, lineage with Cain and Abel, and we'll continue with that. And God accepts Cable's, I mean, Abel's offering and rejects Cain's. So, you know, some of us may go, well, man, I kind of feel sorry for Cain. I mean, he's out there trying, right? I mean, at least he gave something. Seems unfair. He's just trying to come and, and worship the Lord. But it's obvious, it's just not written down, is that there's a protocol that the Lord has set out for them. There's a, you know, and Cain's not following. There's a way to offer to the Lord. There's a way to do stuff. You know, I, I love free expression of worship. We, my wife and I, at one point, we went to a church, and, and I was volunteering for them and stuff. And, and you know, they're a little freer in their worship. I, I wish we would be more expressive. I, I love getting up and worshiping and, and just, you know, I, my personality is a little more reserved. So you're not going to see me dancing down the aisles. That's just not who I am, okay? But I don't mind people being a little more expressive. 
We, the church we went to, um, you know, people had flags and tambourines. They would do that in the back. I'm fine with that as long as it's not like right in front of my face. You know what I'm saying? We don't need people running around the sanctuary. That just Because God also has order to worship, right? We see that in the New Testament. So hopefully you're shaking your head, right? God also sees order to worship. So there's a little bit of both. You have David, you know, being expressive before the Lord, but you also have the Lord setting out certain protocols for worship. So you have a little bit of both, and one shouldn't necessarily override the other. But the issue here is that Cain was not following the protocol. He's not following what the Lord had set up. It's not that God is being unfair to Cain. Cain is just not doing it the right way. Now, some have said because Abel brought, uh, you know, part of the fatted, you know, portion of his firstborn and so forth, it was a blood sacrifice. Um, and Cain didn't bring a blood sacrifice. And I can see, if you, if you really know the nuances of the Scripture, I can see what people are trying to say from this passage. But we're never told that this was a blood offering. We're never told that this was a sin offering. But let's assume it was a sin offering for a second. Well, the law of Moses, the more you read about it, you'll see that if a person is too poor to be able to bring a lamb for a blood sacrifice or a sin offering or even two turtle doves, they could bring a grain offering. So the Lord had set a way. It was rare, but God allowed it he, because he wants fellowship. He wants worship. He wants us to be able to come to him no matter if we're millionaires and billionaires like myself. <laughs> yeah. You know, no, no matter where we are, what our lot is in our society at this point, God wants worship. So it doesn't matter if you make $10 a day or if you make $1,000 a day, which I don't know anybody who does, but I'm just saying it doesn't really matter. What matters is that you come to the Lord. He wants fellowship, but God made it very clear. He says in Leviticus 17:11, For the life of the creature is in the blood, and I've given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. And it's setting up the Old Testament. Anytime you would sin, you would have to have a blood sacrifice. That's what made you right with God. So all of a sudden, New Testament comes. What happens? Jesus is that blood sacrifice once and for all for us. So we don't need the temple. Hebrews 11.4, it says, By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offering. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. So really, it's about faith. It's not about the offering. It's not about how much you actually put down or put into an offering or put in the gift boxes or give to someone else out of, out of, out of your heart and somebody who is in need and so forth. It's not about that. It's about your heart and your faith when you bring an offering to the Lord. There's a difference between do-it-yourself religion and God-directed righteousness. We saw this with Adam and Eve earlier. They sinned, they, they, sinned, they felt guilt. What did they do? They covered up their guilt. They sewed fig leaves and, and stuff together to, to cover up their nakedness. And God rejected that. God rejected that. God took some animals and killed them himself and made a covering for them, the first blood sacrifice. God made ways for even the poor to be able to come and give. We see this. 
There's a difference between religion versus the way of righteousness. And that's really what we're talking about here. There's a huge difference between the two. And many Jews really just didn't understand the difference between them. Uh, They didn't understand this. Over and over in Genesis, God reinforces this idea, first with Adam and Eve, and now with Cain and Abel, that this is not about a blood sacrifice versus a grain sacrifice. It's about the attitude of what happens when you come before the Lord. Are you trying to cover yourself up? Are you trying to do it yourself versus the way of God? And we're going to talk about the two differences here in a little bit. But in Romans 10, it says, brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God is for the Israelites, or for the Israelites, is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them, about that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge, since they do not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own. They did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination of the law, so that the, there may be righteousness for anyone who believes. You see, we have a problem today, society. You and I, we all have this problem. We try to base everything, including the ways of God, on how we feel versus following the law. (laughs) Just open up Facebook if you're on Facebook, right? It's all about how I feel. I don't care about how how I feel. It's all feelings-based. And we do the same thing with God's law. I feel that this group ought to be able to be a part of us, and they're out there just in their wicked ways, even though they're clearly living against God's way. And I don't mean somebody who has sin in their life and and is struggling with sin. I mean, we all struggle with sin. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about somebody clearly living outside the bounds of God's righteousness, and they don't care. But we go, well, I feel they really should be a part of us. So therefore, I say we're, you know, that that's okay. God would be okay with that, right? And, you know, feeling-based-wise, of course God would. Why would God ever reject anybody? And that's a feeling-based thing, even though that, you know, it says, no, I mean, stop that. You have to stop that when it comes to God's ways. We don't work that way. God doesn't work that way. We live by God's absolute truth and God's way. Religion versus the way that God has prescribed it. See, religion says work hard and earn your way to God's love. God will accept you that way if you just work hard. God says the total opposite. Accept me and my ways and then you'll work hard because you love me. And then he remakes us. He molds us to look like him each day. In Titus 3.5 it says, He saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, in other words, man's way, but because of his mercy, God's way. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. All I want you to stress Uh, And I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. You see how that works? Because of God's grace, because of God's mercy, because he saved us through the Lord Jesus Christ, 
then we should be out there doing good things because that's profitable and excellent. That's good for everyone, right? Yeah. And it shows God's love, and it brings people toward God. Proverbs tells us that we cannot clean ourselves, that only God can, and only God did. We have to be careful on how we approach this whole idea of God's ways. It's not based on how we feel. It's based on God's righteousness. So back to Genesis. God accepts Abel's offering and rejects Cain's. And the scriptures say he is angry, and the word means furious, out of control. Uh, we were at Legoland, and, and a dad, uh, uh, the kids were all playing in these little play structures, the Duplo area, uh, you know, for the kids, uh, the little kids. And Grayson's up in the slide area, and, uh, you know, luckily he wasn't involved in this, but one kid grabbed another kid by the hair and started, like, tossing him around. And the dad, okay, yeah, I know the mom expressions here, you know, are freaking out here. But the dad, he, not, he just didn't, like, try to get it stopped. The dad exploded. He was furious to the point of everybody within 50 yards around stopped and looked at what was going on because that's how loud the dad was screaming, no, stop, put him down. Yeah, I mean, just out of control himself, okay? Furious. So, I mean, you, you need to understand, he was furious. And then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Now this is the first murder in the Bible. And it's pretty sad that this is happening here. He's ignoring God. God is saying, Will, you, you know, will I not accept it if you come do it the right way? He's giving him a chance. He's giving him an out. He doesn't take it. His, his anger is there. And it says, and we'll talk about this in a second, but it says, that, you know, sin is crouching at your door and its desire is to have you, but you must rule over it. He just totally ignores God and he goes out and he kills his brother. 1 John 3.10 says, this is how we know we are the, uh, who are the children of God are and who are the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. Now, some of you may get a little nervous on this one, right? You mean if I don't have so much love for my brother or sister, then I'm not a child of God? You know, you, we could look at this and say, well, oh, man, what if I don't do what's right? And does that mean I'm not a child of God? No, 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 no. Sometimes we're weak. Aren't we weak? Yeah, yeah. Sometimes we're just, you know, that's just the way it is. John said earlier in 1 John, don't think anyone is without sin. So he's not talking about just general behavior in life. Children of God generally live righteously. And sometimes we blow it. Sometimes we blow it small, and sometimes we really blow it. But we generally move toward God. We generally live righteously. The children of the devil generally live unrighteously. I mean, they might do a few things that are good, right? Give some money to charity, help people out. They may live a good life, but according to the world standard and how we feel, they may live a good life, but according to God's standards, they're going what? 
the opposite direction of God. They're not living as children of God. They're living as children of the devil because they don't believe in God and they don't believe God's ways are best. Verse 11, it goes on, it says, For this is the message you've heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. If a person is looking to their works to get them to God, you know, we think our works are great, don't we, generally? But reality is, if they're not of God, they're wicked. We think of evil things as like what? Murder? rape, you know, turn on the news. We think of those type of things as evil. But oftentimes we don't think of doing religious deeds to try to get to God as a way to earn salvation. We don't think of that as evil at all. Yet it's just as evil. Because that's how God looks at it. It's an affront to God's true righteousness. We are saved through grace alone. We are saved through faith alone, and we are saved in Christ alone. That is a simple message. Trusting the Scriptures. It's called sola, uh, sola scriptura, uh, scriptura or something like that. If you know, uh, if you know um, I can't even think of it now. It went right out of my head. Um, not Greek, no. Latin, thank you. See, I can't even say the word in Latin, uh, much less say the word Latin. So there you go. But I mean, you know, those who started the Reformation died because they trusted the Scriptures. They saw what the priests were doing. They saw what the church was doing. And they said, that that doesn't match up to Scriptures. I need to trust the Scriptures instead of man's religious institutions. It is not man-made rules. It's not the Scripture plus all this other stuff. It's the Scriptures. Abel gave through obedience. Cain gave whatever he wanted. It was about attitude. Jude 11, or 111, he mentions Cain in a list of people who are apostates. What's an apostate? A person who gives the appearance of being a believer, but is really not. You don't want to be on that list. You know what I'm saying? An apostate. Woe to them. They have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's era. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. And Balaam and Korah, that's referring back to Old Testament, some other uh, stories that the Jews would really know about. But this is do-it-yourself religion versus doing it God's way. And, And there's a huge difference here. God said there's only one way to approach him. There's only one way, and that's through Jesus Christ and nothing else works. He also says there's a way that seems right to man, but it only leads to eternal death. That's religion. Very tolerant, very broad. It makes no demands on your life and accepts everyone for, you know, just the way they are. This is the broad way. And there's also a narrow road, and it's a harder one to take. It is the way of Jesus. Where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes through the Father except through me. You see, everything is based on two things. Human religion, in other words, earning God's favor, and that doesn't work. 
or the way of Jesus Christ except Jesus, and he cleanses you, and he starts to change you. That's the difference between the two. Jesus didn't say on the cross, it's finished, now you go do your part. He didn't say it like that. I hope you make it. No, 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 no. He did all the work, and then he says, accept me, and grace is freely given to you. Jesus, you know, said to the scribes and the Pharisees in Matthew 23 and 24, Jesus said, I sent you prophets, and you killed them. You crucified them, and you didn't listen to them. And he mentioned Zechariah. <clears throat> it's kind of interesting. Abel was the first martyr of the Old Testament scriptures, and Zechariah was the last, uh, you know, uh, prophet to be killed in the, in the Old Testament. So you got it covered from A to Z, I, I, you know. Yeah, you like that, Joe. I see. <laughs> Religion has killed more of God's people than anything else, and it's pretty sad. We could, I, I could lead you through tons of material. I could spend hours here telling you about how religion has killed this person or that person. And, and you know, through different denominations, different churches have, have killed this. And, 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 you know, even religions outside of what we would consider a, a godly religion have done the same thing. In Hebrews 11, it says, By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offering. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. This tells me that a life lived for God never really dies. It lives on. A life lived for God lives on. It lives on in our children. It lives on in our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren. It lives on in the other people that we've affected. The legacy lives on. I can tell you, I do ministries just like, I do ministry just like Greg did ministry. I did ministry just like Steve does ministry. I do ministry just like Emery does ministry. I can tell you dozens of people that I do ministry like because their legacy lives on because they taught me along the way. Our ministry lives on. Our legacy lives on. Abel's faith with his obedience is the proper way to come to God. That is the right way. There's also a wrong way to come to God. Because it doesn't matter how we feel. It doesn't matter what we think. There's a right way and a wrong way. Don't think, well, well, God looks at my heart. I'm really sincere about this. (laughs) No, God looks for righteousness. Sincerity is good, but God looks for, for righteousness in your offerings and your actions. Faith equals righteousness and obedience. You can be sincerely wrong. You can be very sincerely wrong. So do it God's way to begin with. Don't broaden the way of God. There are evangelicals out there that are saying, God's way is broader than you think. The blood of Jesus will will save uh, sincere Muslims or sincere Buddhists or sincere this or sincere that. And I can tell you sincerely, they are wrong. They are wrong. This is not what the scriptures say. This is the apostasies of the last day. Many are saying, well, as a Christian, that's your way only. And the answer is, no, 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 no. You're equating me. No, no, no. It's not me. It's God's way. It's not my choice. I didn't make the rules. I just follow Him. 
Take it up with Jesus. Don't get mad at me. Go, go talk to the Lord. Go talk to God. It's not me. I didn't make the rules. In 1 John, uh, uh, or in John 16, 1 and 2, Jesus says something very telling. He says, all this I've told you so that you will not fall away. That will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they're uh, offering a service to God. It's kind of interesting. A time will come when people will kill you in the name of God. I think of what's happening in the Middle East, Europe, even here in America. People are killing people in the name of God, and they think they're doing God's work. I mean, this started with the Jews persecuting the Christian church back in, you know, 33 to 40 AD, somewhere right in there. And it continued with what? <laughs> the Romans <laughs> going after the Jews and the Christians? And it just goes on and on and on. Just read the book of Acts, you know, but it didn't end there. But, you know, both the Christians and Jews have been persecuted, and they killed Christians by the thousands in the early days. Today it's Islam. They're killing whole villages of Christians in places around this world. Verse 7 of Genesis 4, the Lord said something to Cain that's important. If you do what is right, you will not be, uh, you will not, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. It's desires to have you, but you must rule over it. There's many people that disagree with what this actually means. And, you know, but let me give you a picture of, of what the Hebrew words are saying here. It's like, it's like sin is like a crouching lion, like a lion is right there, right there at the door. And then, the, you know, this is the door to your house, the door to your heart, you know, something close. In other words, sin is never far from us. It connects with our fallen nature that's within us. So if we do what is right, it holds it off. But if we don't, sin is right there ready to pounce. And we are to resist it. We are to resist it. And for some reason, we, we don't resist. We are to exercise control over the flesh. We are to not give in to temptation. We're supposed to obey God with the power of the Holy Spirit. We can do this. But too often we ignore the Holy Spirit in our lives and we just give in. Or we try to do it by, the, by our own power, which gets us how far? Yeah, not very far. It's impossible on our own. But with the help of the Holy Spirit, we can have victory over the flesh. It is possible with the Holy Spirit. Paul said one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit is what? In Genesis 5, I think 22 or something right there, he said one of the Spirit is self-control. So if we're connected with God, if we're fellowshipping with God, if we're fellowshipping with each other, we have the strength to resist the flesh and walk in the Spirit by the power of God. And we need to use that and not leave it on the shelf. We need to use it. Verse 8, it goes on, it says, Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out in the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Cain did this with premeditation. That's how mad he was. 
I'm sure Cain had killed many animals over the years and even brought some of the sacrifice to God. But now he kills his brother. In verse 9 it says, Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? How many times have we said that, you know? God knows exactly what, what happened. He wanted a confession. I do this with Brandon sometimes. I know what went on. I know what happened. And I go, well, hey, you know what? And he'll just, I don't know. And I'm like, I know exactly what happened. Don't give me that. I'm trying to give him a chance. And I'm wanting him to take it. Because I don't want to punish my own child. You know what I'm saying? I want to, I want to be fun dad. Anybody want to be fun mom, fun dad? You know what I'm saying? But we have to discipline our children. Now, we've got to be careful not to drive them away, and I'm working on that, okay? But you have to discipline them. You can't let them get away with it. You know, he's given them a chance at redemption. Now, are we our brother's keeper? Are we accountable to one another? Is it any business of mine how you, how you live your life? I think so. And not because I'm the pastor, but because I'm a fellow Christian. Because I'm on the same path as you are. This is what family is about. This is what being a body is about. You know, oftentimes we're, we're too concerned, and, and it's the new word now, uh, you know, microaggressions. We're too concerned with how you might offend me. Whatever little thing you did, <gasps> I cannot, oh, I cannot believe that. They treated me this way. They gave me coffee instead of Diet Coke. Unbelievable. We're too concerned with this kind of stuff. Now, at the same time, we don't need to go around pointing our fingers at everybody else. Oh, you're doing this wrong. You're doing this wrong. You're doing this wrong. You're doing this wrong. You know, you love that. You know, love it when the kids, you know, kids are all playing and one of them comes in. So-and-so did this and who cares, you know. So we have to be careful on that. There's a godly balance. But a person who loves you and says, by the way, what you're doing is against God's way. Let me help you get back on track. And you always pray before correcting somebody. Always pray before you go to a brother or sister and say, you know, it's been bugging me for a while. I've been very hesitant to come to you. But I, I, be careful when you say this too. But I prayed about it. I went to the Lord, because then all of a sudden you're saying, well, God gave me permission to, do, to slam you. But you do everything out of love, and then you help them. You don't just say, you're doing this wrong, and you walk away. We need to gently keep each other accountable. Verse 10, it goes on, it says, the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your bro- brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. When You, you will be restless, a restless wanderer on the earth. Remember earlier God cursed the ground, and now God curses Cain. The ground's not going to produce for you. He's going to be a fugitive in a sense, someone out on the land, barely surviving. I mean, if you, you know, if you can't work, you can't do this. I mean, basically, you can't till the ground, you can't work. You know what I'm saying? So if you can't legally work, you're kind of out on the land, you know, out on the land, and, and it's a little more, you know, it's harder to operate in society and so forth, and this is what it is. But the curse went way beyond this. 
he lost the connection with his family. He became a hated man, an outcast. Cain said to the Lord, verse 13, my punishment is more than I can bear. Notice he didn't say, my sin is more than I can bear. I can't believe I did this to my brother. Will you ever forgive me? No, he doesn't go that route. My punishment is more than I can bear. I can't believe you're punishing me like this. His remorse is only that he got caught. His remorse is only about the consequences. And this is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10. He says there's two kinds of sorrow. There's a godly sorrow that produces repentance. And it leads to salvation. Godly sorrow, you know, your repentance is, I did this wrong, I'm agreeing with you, God, and I should go the other way. And there's a second sorrow, sorrow of the world. And this produces death. So how do you tell the difference? Is a person's life changing? Does their repentance produce a godly change? Hmm. Now, there are those that struggle with different things, and, and they ask for God's grace, and, they help, you know, and God helps, and it gets them back on the right track, and they fall off again. You know, I mean, we, we love to take alcohol. You know, somebody who drinks too much, and, and they fall off the bandwagon, in a sense, and uh, you know, they, they, they're trying to get better, you know, and they struggle with that. And, and you know, they're free for a little while, but they're wanting to change. They're trying to change. So we keep encouraging that. But this is uh, different than a person who, who uh, does whatever they do against the Lord, and they exercise remorse only because they're caught. But they're not sorry for the sin at all. I don't like the consequences. See, our, our society has embraced this and honored it. There's a woman who was part of the Weather Underground in the, in the 60s and 70s, a, you know, a terrorist organization of the day, and, you know, trying to overthrow the government amongst other things. But she helped rob a bank, and she shot a guard who had nine children in Boston, okay? Now she's a professor at a university. She was a fugitive for 23 years. In 1993, she finally surrendered, and she said in her statement, well, I was just naive, and I was just dumb, okay? She said she wanted to answer for her crimes. But her husband later on explained a husband that loved her, he wasn't complaining about her, you know, wasn't doing it out of spite. He went on later and said, well, she wasn't doing it out of guilt. She just wanted her life back. She wants to be whole again. She wanted to be authentic, authentic again. And this goes back to our conscience. <clears throat> we don't want to ever admit that we're actually wrong at something. We don't sin. We just make mistakes. Oh, I didn't sin. We don't feel guilt. Therefore, we're really just victims. We're supposed to be compassionate enough to say, that is not sin. See, that's what the world's saying. We're just all victims. See, worldly regret and remorse is just really self-focused, self-oriented, feelings-oriented. It's not really repentance. So what is true repentance? It involves three things. Awareness and understanding of our sin and what we've done wrong. John says that if we confess our sins, 
He is faithful and just to what? Forgive us. And he's willing to do that. Confess means to say the same thing, to go to God and say, I'm agreeing with you, Lord. What I did here is wrong, completely wrong, no excuses, no justifications. It was sin. Forgive me. So the first one is awareness and understanding of our sin and wrongdoings. (coughs) Secondly, it involves our emotions. We feel bad because of what we've done. We truly feel bad. Not because we got caught, but what we've actually done. Now, if a person feels bad but doesn't do anything to change, is that godly regret or is that worldly regret? Hmm. See, genuine repentance is I really do feel bad and I'm going to do something about it. The third one is your actions change. You truly make an effort not to do it again. You move in the opposite direction. You recognize the sin and you turn from it. Make restitution if you can. I mean, you know, a good one is how you turn from it. I mean, you can apply this to any part of your life and different things, but, you know, if you go to the bar, if you're a drunk, but you're truly repentant of being a drunk, but you go hang out at the bar, are you truly repentant about being a drunk? You see what I'm saying? But the same thing. What if you have good friends? You've been friends all your life. This is my best friend. But that best friend always leads you down a path of destruction. But you still hang out with them. But you're truly, are you truly repentant? If they keep leading you down that, oh, I'm sorry, I keep doing this wrong. With, you know, I keep doing this with them, and I really shouldn't. But, I, but they're my best friend. I can't let them go. Well, guess what? Maybe God's saying you need to let them go and go the other direction. You can apply this in so many different parts of your life. So Cain didn't repent from his sin. His words were only self-remorse for the punishment and the fear for his own safety. He is now afraid that everyone will want to avenge Abel's killing. And I'm running out of time, but let me finish up here. In verse 13 it says, Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is more than I can bear. Today are you driving me from the land, and I'll be hidden from your presence. It's interesting that even at the beginning of God, he set up this place of worship. People knew where to come. They knew how to worship him. And, you know, it wasn't just a self-styled worship. God set up parameters for worship. They even brought sacrifice to the Lord. It was clear to everyone, here's the place. This is how I'm supposed to worship. Now, today, anywhere we worship is fine. We don't have a temple we go to. But there's still still some parameters. We worship in spirit and truth. We have orderly worship. It's not a free-for-all. We bring our offerings to the Lord. We fellowship together. We gather, and we should never stop gathering. Verse 14, it says, Today you're driving me from the land. I'll be hidden from your presence. I'll be a restless wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, Not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. I'm surprised by God here. (laughs) You would think that God would just execute judgment on Cain, right? Just right then and there. You kill him. We're not going to allow that. That's it. Boom. You're done. But instead, he protects him. He puts a mark on him saying, don't touch this man. The mark is a symbol of God's amazing grace towards sinners. For those who should be put to death, God allowed for him to live in his grace. See, grace is great if used right. It can be your worst nightmare if used incorrectly. God's grace gives people time. Time to what? 
to repent. I think what God was doing was giving Cain time. Go think about this. Live out there. See, you know, come back and really truly repent. Cain never did. See, the longer we live and we don't repent, we're storing up God's wrath, punishment, because of the lack of repentance. I don't think Cain ever repented. John calls him a child of the devil. Every place Cain is mentioned in the Word of God, it's always in the negative. Judgment and sin and evil. He did not use grace properly. God gives us all grace, but it doesn't last forever. If we keep refusing to turn for him, that grace will, will run out one day. Verse 16, it says, So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain made love to his wife, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Cain was then building a city, and he named it after his son, Enoch. So the age-old question, where did Cain get his wife? Obviously, he married a relative, right? And we go, <gasps> okay. Well, I mean, back then, our DNA was not the same as it is today. It wasn't as messed up. It wasn't as screwed up. Um, how else do you populate an earth from two people? You're going to marry a relative along the way, okay? This changed about the time of Moses, when there was enough people on earth that, you know, that God made, a, you know, he outlawed it. He said, you can't marry a relative. And when we read this story, we need to get past the whole idea of just four people, Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. There were other children that Adam and Eve had, and these children produced other children. The story only focuses on the lineage of this family. In Genesis 5, 4, it says, after Seth was born, Adam lived 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Now, how many kids do you think you would have in 800 years? And the women are going, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Altogether, Adam lived a total of 930 years, and then he died. So over 100 years had passed to the point of Cain and Abel. Some scholars think that, you know, they believe that there could have been 200,000 people on earth by then. Society likes what? The gotcha thing. And that's what they're doing here. You had Adam and Eve and Cain left. Where did he get his wife? Gotcha. You know, they don't even give you a time to answer it, you know. See, the Bible's not true. Hmm. What we miss is the point of the story. It's about what we bring to God in the manner that we should bring to God. And when we don't, God gives us a chance to deal with it. We can either deal with it the wrong way or deal with it in the right way. God gives us grace and more grace and more grace. And what it is is time for us to repent. And we have our choice, either repent now or not. That is our part. That's our part. God has done his part, and he's waiting on us. And I say this, don't make God wait. If you need to repent of something, do it today. Do it today before His grace runs out on that part of your life. Because God wants fellowship. Fellowship is, is key to life and so many, so many things that we don't have time to go into because I've gone way past time. So why don't you stand and we will close in prayer this morning. Lord, we come to you and we, 
we have so many different areas of our life that we probably need to repent in, Lord. Some areas that we don't even know about, and we, we pray that you point those out to us, and you give us a chance to turn to you. We pray, Lord, for those that are out here today that are feeling, you know, maybe the Holy Spirit is impressing upon them about a certain part of their life that, that they've kind of gone away from you in. And you're saying, come back, that this is not good, that, that they would respond to that. We thank you for your mercy of, 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 of our life and the grace of our life that, that you've given us, that you don't execute judgment immediately that you give us time, and I pray that we take advantage of that time. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you, even when you're not turning back to Him, that He may light your path back to Him. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.